Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship, for just being able to be here today. We thank you, Father God. We ask you that you would just open our spiritual ears, that we may come to understand you today, to hear your word, and that it may take root in us. Somebody say that, Lord, let your word take root in me. Amen. Come on, you excited? Amen. If you guys back there could bring me down just a little bit. Before I get started, let me, let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever come in contact with a person? I'm going to describe this type of person to you. The kind of person who's got nothing good to say about you, but oftentimes needs your help. Mm, everybody thought of a cousin. Amen. <laughs> Have you ever met that person who was just talking garbage about you, but then like in, immediately they came into a situation where they needed you? And sometimes it happens even jokingly. Like, you know, you're, you're maybe at a restaurant or you're paying at McDonald's under, and they're like, oh, they're just saying something silly to you. And the next thing you know, their car got rejected. And they're like, oh, my God, looking at you like you got a couple extra dollars for them. And like you were just talking junk about it. Now you want my help. You were just mouthing it off. Now you want, you know. And I think in, in, in times like that, we can all be that person in terms of God. And we read this, this interesting story. See, we've been on this topic of scandals of grace, which really encompasses how God will scandalously lavish his grace on you. Why is it scandalous? Because we don't deserve it. We, we, we absolutely don't deserve the goodness of God and how he pours it out on our life. But in his great mercy, as I probably said that every single Sunday for the past four, three weeks, in his great mercy, God pours out his, somebody say grace, on me. And it wasn't because you deserved it. It wasn't because you were good enough. It was just because of how good God is and how good and how much rather God loves you. And this is really interesting story in the book of Luke. In chapter 23, if you'll turn there or just click there, Luke chapter 23, I'm reading from verse 32 to the end of the chapter, and it reads this. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed, him talking about Jesus. And when they came to the place of the skull, the skull they crucified him there along with, somebody say, the criminals. One on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up, and they mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung with him there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, your Bible might say tonight, you will be with me in paradise. An interesting passage of scripture here because if you read Matthew 27, verse 44, of the same account of this same exact story, it kind of gives a little bit of a preemptive up and leading up to what happened here. If you read Matthew 27, verse 44, Matthew tells us this. Tell us that the two thieves with Jesus were both doing the same thing. It says there, the two thieves were doing the same thing. They were hurling insults at Jesus and reviling him. That's what it says. They were hurling insults. Both thieves were hurling insults at Jesus. Both thieves were yelling at Jesus, cursing at Jesus. But now, if you read Luke's account, something has happened to one of these thieves. 
And I believe it happens where Jesus is on the cross, he's been crucified, and in the midst of him being crucified, and in the midst of him being mocked, in the midst of him being, him being made fun of, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, These people are crucifying me. They're mocking me. These two thieves. Who were these two thieves? Scripture tells us who these two thieves were. These two thieves were companions of a man named Barabbas. Barabbas was a rebel. He was literally a zealot, a part of a Jewish faction which wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And so what they would do is they would incite rebellion. They would try to murder people and they would cause all types of problems. And these three, including Barabbas, had been caught while doing unlawful things. And so these two thieves, who better to hang Jesus with than these other two rebels? For Jesus presented himself as the king of the Jews. And so in the eyes of the Roman Empire, Jesus was another rebel. And so they crucified Jesus with some of the lowest of the lowest people. Thieves, commoners who were thieves and and just people who were probably murderers like Barabbas. These were bad people. And they did this to make it almost more scandalous that Jesus not only died a sinner's death, but he died it in the worst of ways alongside other sinners. For even Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53 that Jesus would die amongst sinners. They did this to Jesus to almost embarrass him even further. There was no class in the way he died. There was no honor in how he was murdered. So here is Jesus beaten, battered, broken, bruised. He's been tortured. He's been yelled at. He's being spit upon. This, when you hear the fact that he's been spit upon, it takes the image of what we see today as the cross and it kind of erases it. Jesus wasn't high up in the air. Chances are he was crucified maybe one foot above ground. He wasn't high up in the air on a 20-foot cross. And so people would walk up to him and they would spit on him and they would hurl insults at him and they would mock him. And in the midst of this church, in the midst of where God himself in the flesh is being mocked, is being beaten, he would be stabbed in a few minutes, he would be taken advantage of. In this moment, innocent God on the cross, he says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And I believe it's at this moment, this thief has a revelation of God. Because from Matthew to Luke, he changes tones. From Matthew, he says, Jesus is nobody. But in Luke, he has this revelation. And he's like, oh my goodness, don't you see? He truly is God. Have you ever had the revelation where grace gripped your heart? Ever had that revelation where God's mercy grips you and you are humbled by his very mercy over your life? Here's point number one today. The grace of God brings a revelation of who God is. Grace brings revelation. Grace will reveal to you the character of God, the goodness of God, the holiness of God, the majesty of God. It'll it'll tell you about the immutability of God. Grace will reveal to you who God is because God, before he had to have love, he had grace because he had to have patience in order to love us through our sinfulness, through our problems. God loved you, and it was only because of his grace. That's the people don't realize God is love. But before God was love, he was graceful. Because he could not have grace lest he have love. Because he would create a human population who would revile him, sin against him, and turn on him. He had to have patience and grace for you and for I. Grace brings revelation. And this thief had a revelation of Jesus Christ on the cross. He is dying. He is about to breathe his last breath with Jesus. They're both there. And one thief continues to mock him. And he's like, he says to the other thief, one says to the other, what are you doing? Don't you realize that he truly is who he says he is? He is innocent and we are guilty of our crimes. Do you realize this? And one moment he's making fun of Jesus, but the next moment he has a distinct need for Jesus. At one moment he's mocking God, but in one moment, next, next moment rather, he has a clear need for God in his life. He's breathing his last. And you would think that if you were breathing your last breath, you wouldn't be spending it cursing people out. But it shows the depth and the depravity of the other thief's life. 
It shows the grip of sin that was over his life. But somewhere in between, this other thief has a revelation of Jesus. It's like he, he must have maybe understood Isaiah 53 and verse 4 and 5. Where it would say, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him not. He was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought me peace. In other words, upon Jesus was put the punishment that brought my life peace. My goodness. The punishment that gave me peace in my life to be able to have assurance of salvation, to be able to know that God is and God loves and that God will not forsake me. That punishment had to be given to somebody and it was given to Christ and that punishment brought me peace. Usually you have peace when God punishes somebody else. That's what they get. That's what they deserve. Don't touch God's anointing. Now you get real biblical after that. But in this case, Truly, he receives the punishment that should have been yours. And in that moment, church, in that very moment, you had the opportunity to have peace with God. Well, why would I need peace from God? Romans clearly says that prior to Christ dying on the cross, there was enmity, meaning you were an enemy of God because you had sin in you. And so Jesus comes, dies on the cross so that you might have this peace. If you've ever had a quiet moment in your life, grant that peace to Jesus Christ. If you've ever felt God come over you and say, it's going to be okay, that peace came from Calvary and nowhere else. If you've ever felt in the moments where you were restless and anxious and worried and the peace of God that overcomes your heart, that is beyond understanding, like Philippians 3 and 4 says, in that moment, you can grant that peace to Jesus Christ. You can trace it back to the cross. You can trace it back to the blood dripping from his hands and his feet. Why? Because it was the punishment that was upon him that brought peace between you and God, that he might be able to give you peace. And this sinner has this revelation. This thief has this revelation on the cross. And this is, this is troublesome. This is troublesome. Grace brings this revelation. How could Jesus forgive those who are hurting him? Most of us lash out when people hurt us. Most of us give attitude when people hurt us. Most of us go gossip when people hurt us. Most of us whisper when people hurt us. Most of us do all types of ungodly things when we're upset at people for hurting us. Whereas Jesus says, I forgive you. Because as Yoshi said earlier, the sinner's prayer, rather the our father prayer says, as we forgive those who trespass against us, forgive us our trespasses. So Jesus, as he's being trespassed against, forgives others those trespasses. That on the cross, while he bears your sins, my God, he can be forgiven of your sins. He says, Lord, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't understand how they're hurting me. He recognizes Jesus in that moment, and he recognizes him as the Messiah, as the Savior. And he says to him, Lord, Lord, when you get to paradise, you please remember me. Remember me. The thief, one thief, as I said earlier, he continues to curse Christ. And the second thief, he has this realization. Here's my second point. The realization of grace brings repentance of sins. The realization of grace brings repentance of sins. When you realize God's grace, Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, uh, segments of verses, Isaiah, it says, in, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. So Isaiah is transported into heaven. He has this heavenly vision of literally the throne room of God. No other recollection in scripture that God takes a man to the throne room and Isaiah is transported to the throne room of God where he sees angels and seraphims and cherubs, they're all praising and they're shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And then he says this, I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, when he got into the presence of God, he had a revelation of his sinfulness. Have you ever gone to church and as you're attending church, you realize different things about your life that don't add up with scripture? 
Because grace brings revelation and revelation brings repentance. And so as you go forward in your walk with God, you should be ever-changing. You should be ever-changing in your walk with God. Some people think that getting saved is it. Getting saved is, a, is not an event. It is a journey. It is a marathon. It is, a, it is something you will keep on doing for many years. You're saved instantly, but there is a work that God will do in your life progressively. God will always change you. God will always be molding you and be stretching you and growing you. And if you get to a place where you're not being stretched and you're not growing, you have to say, God, am I taking your word and applying it to my life? Because grace brings repentance of sins when you get the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you get the revelation, and here's the powerful part. What does Jesus say to this man? He says, Lord, remember me in paradise. And Jesus goes to him and says, well, sir, if you take three baptismal classes, four membership classes, you have to take 16 communions, say 34 Hail Marys, and you have to pay tithes for at least 12 years, and then you're saved. This man never attended a church service. He didn't know about Sermon on the Mount. He never knew anything Jesus said, but he reached out to Jesus in that moment. And in that moment, he said, Lord, remember me. In other words, Lord, I am sinful. I can't make it to where you're at. But if you would just remember me, if you would remember me in the time where you get to heaven, because you're going back to where you came from, if you remember me then, I would appreciate that. And that's as good as saying, Lord, I am a sinner and I need your salvation. In that moment, this really messes up religion, church. This really messes up people's ideology because he did not have to do anything except, except Christ. He called out to God in the most minute of ways. He called out to God in the smallest of ways because the realization of God's grace will bring a repentant heart to God. When you realize how good God is in comparison to how bad you are, you have no clue but to say, God, I am humbled by you and your mercy. The people who scare me are the ones who say, but I'm a pretty good person. Well, I'm doing all right by myself. I mean, God is great, but I'm pretty good myself. You've got to humble yourself you got to realize the greatness of God, and not in a condemning way where you say, man, I'm so terrible, but to say, God, I'm just simply humbled by your greatness and your grace. Because when I look back over my life, I can see God's grace all throughout the course of my life. And even when I wasn't serving God, I can look back in those moments and see where the goodness of God has saturated my life, irregardless of how I was living, simply because God knew that one day I would be standing in front of people preaching the gospel. And even in those moments, he covered me in grace that I might be able to cover others when it was my time. That's the grace of God. And then it came to a point. In my life where one day I realized the greatness of God and one day I realized the sinfulness of my life, the state that I was in, the depravity that I was in, and I repented from my sins and I turned from that lifestyle and I began to live a different lifestyle and I served God. You see, church is not a social club. That's why, that's why church is not in charge of who you hang out with. That's your responsibility to have friends. I said that. Well, nobody from church, listen, that's not the church's problem. We're not a social club. We're here to bring souls to Christ, make disciples, and send them back out. And if you come here for social gatherings, you're never going to ever receive the depth of what God has for you. Because God doesn't want fans, as one curriculum will tell you. God wants followers. God's about disciples who are disciplined. Key word in disciple is disciplined in his lessons and teachings. But we live in a generation where we don't want to discipline ourselves according to the word of God. We want to give a shout out because it feels good. Broke my heart the other day to watch the Bruce Jenner interview. Really broke my heart because a man sitting there saying he had all these problems in his life and, and, and he was, and I, I just started seeing on Facebook all the comments, oh, he's pursuing happiness. He's pursuing this. He's not pursuing happiness, church. He's pursuing damnation. Pastor, that's really tough. Listen, this is the gospel. 
You have to know Christ. You have to live according to his teachings. You have to do what's right before God. You have to live in a certain capacity that is honorable. And Jesus clearly here, he says to this man, and this is troublesome for many churches because this man didn't have to do anything to get saved. He just said, I believe. And he was saved. Wow. Isn't that grace? That God would save a sinner on his death? That's almost unfair. Because the Bible says this, sin is pleasurable for a season. Everybody here who knows sin is fun, just give me a little amen. Let's be honest. Sin, now, the consequences of sin isn't always fun. Amen. But we know something. Sin is fun. And as I heard one preacher say, if sin wasn't fun for you, you weren't doing it right. No, let's be honest. The reason we don't stop sinning is because it is fun. That's the truth. Sometimes you want to let loose and cuss somebody out and then tell you all your friends about it. Because it was so fun, you kept on reliving it. Yeah, see? Because sin is pleasurable, the Bible says, for a season. And then you have some people who give their lives to God on their deathbed. And then I'm like, I have mixed emotions about this. I, I do. But this is the goodness and greatness of God. He doesn't care what I think. Like, God, I've been struggling this Christian life, and I'm walking right, and I'm doing it. And this guy... The last two seconds, I accept you, Christ, and I got to preach that he's in heaven? This isn't fair. What's that about? I done went to every Sunday service. I done did this. But then it's not about your works. It's about the grace of God. And some of you might say, well, then I'll stop coming to church. Somebody clapped back there, and it was from the band section. Amen. They said, I'll just stop coming to church, right, Josh? Amen. That was your clap. I could tell those hands. Those are lotion hands. I could tell that. Amen. That's that Bath and Body Works lotion. I heard that. Amen. Got a certain clap. Amen. But the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10. It says that you were saved for good works, to do good works, to serve the kingdom. But you have these people, like I said earlier, who will give their lives to God in their dying breaths, and God saves them. Why? Because he's a God of majestic grace. That's God. That God will save people when they don't deserve it. We're talking about scandalous grace, church. These two thieves did not deserve it. And this one thief, he receives eternal life. Simply because he says, Lord, right there, Lord, capital L in the Bible, he acknowledges Jesus as God. He didn't say rabbi. He didn't say teacher. He says, Lord. He acknowledges him as God, and he says, Lord, remember me in paradise, in heaven. Remember me. And what does Jesus say? If any man call out to Jesus, I am telling you, if you call out to Christ in any situation at all, he will answer you. And he says, Lord, remember me in paradise. In that moment, he recanted his life of sin. In that moment, he said, I'm unworthy. I'm absolutely unworthy. I'm not going to be in paradise. He said, this guy's, let me tell you what he's saying. Lord, I'm going to hell. That's where I'm going to be. So while you're in heaven, remember me while I'm in hell. That's literally what he's saying. I'm not going to be there. Remember me. And what, is, what does Jesus say? No, 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 no. You just called on me tonight. You will be with me. What? what? Oh, hold on. What? what? Could you imagine people who were spitting on Jesus while he said that? What? I would have just passed that one back. What would you just say, Jesus? Dude is dying on the cross saving people. Literally, you and me. And while he's saving people dying on the cross... He's still saving people, dying around him. What a selfless brand of Christianity that is. You see, some Christians only do good things when they're having a good season in their life. They only serve when they're having a good time in their life. They only have a good attitude when they're having a good time. They're only treating people respectfully and like Christ when they're having a good time. But here's Jesus having the worst time of his life. And he's saving people. 
Shame on the church for being so self-absorbed that we don't reach out to others in their time of need because we're having a little hurt ourselves. If only we could be like Christ, saving others in their time of need when he himself could have been saved. Scripture says that Jesus could have called legions of angels down on his side. He could have called legions of angels to come save him. He could have called 10 million angels to come pull him off the cross. But Jesus, instead of doing that, he worries about you and me. He concerns himself with his business. And what happens? Because of that grace, this sinner receives the Father's inheritance. My goodness, what a gracious God you serve. Lord, remember me when you are in paradise. Lord, remember me when you get to the other side and Jesus says, tonight you will be with me. What a powerful picture of grace this is. Grace has no boundaries. Grace has no place that it will not go on your behalf. There is no ocean that it will not cross. There is no depth it will not go in order to reach your life. Grace is available to every single person here today. Maybe you say, well, pastor, I'm saved. Well, maybe you need grace to get through some tough times in your life. Grace is not just about salvation. Grace is the spirit-filled, powerful living in God. Grace can do amazing things in your life. There is grace available to you. And this man receives that grace right on the cross, right there in his greatest time of need. Jesus saves his life. Grace has no boundaries in your life, church. Can I tell you a secret? Can I tell every single person here something that you might not know? Did you not know that every single person on the face of the planet is saved? Some of you are like, what kind of doctrine is he talking about? Here's something most folks won't tell you. Every single person on the face of the planet is saved. I liken it unto this. I liken it unto a man who goes to his entire family, all 30 members of his family, and says, I have brought all of us a plane ticket to Dominican Republic. We're going to go on a nice vacation. It's all inclusive. Everything's paid. I bought 33 tickets. Everyone's gone. And everyone's like, yay. But then five of them wake up late and miss their flight. Two of them didn't want to go because he bought it, and they didn't like him. Two other ones didn't want to go because they couldn't get the time off of work because they were too busy living their life to be able to enjoy their family. Were they saved? Did they have a ticket? Yeah, they didn't choose to get on the flight. Some because they were too busy. Others because they were just lazy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everyone is saved. You got to choose. Here's my, here's my last point for you. Here's my, here's my last point for you. This one, this, this point right here, I, I've said it before maybe three years ago, and this, this one right here really, to me, if you just let it just sink in, it really changed my life, this principle that I learned. Here's my last point. Grace reacts to faith, not need. Grace reacts to your faith, not your need. Everyone here has a need to be saved. Everyone here has a need in your life, whether financial, whether physical, whether emotional healing. You all have a need, but most of you don't have the faith to see that need met. This is why Jesus would come in contact with people and he would say, I'm amazed at your faith. Because faith reacts to grace and grace reacts to faith. They're twins. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith in Jesus. Some of you have the need and you're waiting for somebody to do something for you when it's already been done and you don't have the faith to see it through. You don't have the faith to grow in your spirit. You don't have the faith for a financial blessing. You don't have the faith to be able to be a good steward in your life. You don't have the faith to see God heal your family. You don't have the faith to see God meet your needs. You have the need, you don't got the faith, and you blame God because of it. Two sinners on the cross. Jesus in the middle, 
both had a need, one had faith. The other clung to his sinfulness. He was saved, had the opportunity, didn't jump on the plane. I wonder how many of us in different areas of our life are missing the flight of faith. You're missing the point where God's grace can be poured out. And you're saying, well, pastor, I know that I'm saved, but you're struggling in other areas where you need God's grace. Healing in your body, you need God's grace for that. Healing in your mind, you need God's grace for that. Healing in your marriages, you need God's grace for that. Healing in your children, you need God's grace for that. Because everything that God does emanates from grace. Because we don't deserve anything from God. Therefore, everything he does is is a result of his grace for you and for me. And you have a need before God. You need an addiction broken in your life, but you don't have the faith to let it go. Because you've become too addicted to how it makes you feel. Some people are addicted to worrying because it makes you feel like you're in control. Some people have an addiction to gossip because it's so deep-seated in your spirit. Some people are addicted to negativity because you're used to the sympathy it comes with. I said it. It is not God's desire for you to always have to need a pep talk and always be down and out. But every time, at that long face, I'm never the joy of the Lord. Come on, church. You need grace for that. You just need to spread a little grace on that. You know how grace, uh, I'm going to put this in Puerto Rican terms because some of you look kind of like, oh, put this in Puerto Rican terms. Grace is like sazon. Let me backtrack. I want to just, grace is like, everybody going, adobo. Because <laughs> even the non-Puerto Ricans know what adobo is. <laughs> when you're making an actual meal and not just seasoning, grace is like sofrito. That's like the quintessential piece of every Puerto Rican recipe is you got to have some sofrito. Ain't that right, church? Amen. Grace can be spread all over your life. It's not just for your salvation. It's for your sanity. It's not just for your sanity. It's so that you can live a superb life. It's so that you can be above the rest. You need grace for that. Can I, can I, can I just, if you've been struggling with a bad attitude for years, you need grace for that. If you've been having problems with your brothers in Christ consistently, eh, it's probably you. Stowed out there. You need grace for that. You, you need grace for that. If you've been struggling to serve God because you're addicted to sins, you need grace for that. Come on, can I talk to somebody? If you've got some anger problems, you need grace for that. If you've got some hurt problems, you need grace for that. Every single person here has a need, and the grace, this is the crazy part, it is available to you. I love going to my doctor's office because, you know, used to be where they would give you a prescription and you got to drop it off and then see. They just, they just electronically send it over there now. And I just, all I got to do is go pick it up. That's it. Just go pick it up. And do you realize that God has kind of gave you a prescription called grace for every single problem you got? You have not gone to pick that prescription up at the altar. Instead, you pick up worry. You pick up doubt. You pick up gossip, you pick up hurt, you pick up anxiety, a spirit of offendedness, a spirit of apathy. Come on, church. There's grace for every area of your life, but grace only reacts to faith. It only reacts to faith. When I was a kid, in my last little illustration for you, my father, he got me this, this thing from one of those little shops, one of those little... I didn't even know one of those little, uh, little shop over there in Monroe with just all these oddities. And, and it was where they sold like the little poppers you would throw on the floor, just pops. And those were the coolest things ever. And over there, they sold the stink bombs and things like that that I would put under pastor's chairs when they came to my house. And um, I did that one time. My brother, I don't know who did it. One of us did it. We put it under a rug and they cracked it while they were praying. And it was just not good. In the middle of praying and this, this filthy, dirty egg smell just saturates. It's just not good. 
But they had these little things, these little like, they were like this big, little fish, little fish, like a little whale. And you would have to put it in the water. And once you wet it, it would begin to expand over time. Anybody ever play one of those things? Those things were awesome. They don't make cool stuff like that no more. And, and, and I just remember seeing that. And as I was just going over this week, I'm thinking to myself, grace reacts to faith. Your faith in God will grow and you will experience his grace when you mix the two. You see, I would have left that thing on the counter for the whole day and it would have stayed the same exact size. I could have let that thing go and go. I could have left it there and been like, man, this toy is stupid. It says it grows. It says it grows. That's how some of us are. But the Bible says this, but you didn't read the full instructions. We want to take that one verse that we think sounds good and we just, well, God is love. So I have to love everything everyone does. Not true. So if you would take your faith and drop it in God's grace, and mix the two of those rather than trying to mix faith rather grace and doubt it doesn't work will not work it needed water to work water and as you put your faith in his grace what does that mean pastor it means I'm not putting my faith in my own works my own abilities I'm putting it on what he's already done that's why Paul said not that I have already obtained it but I stretch forth forgetting what is behind me to obtain what Christ Jesus has already obtained for me. That's what some of us need to do today. We need to stretch forth to receive the grace that God has for whatever situation you're facing, whatever hurt you're facing, whatever addiction you're facing, whatever problem you are facing. You need God's grace. But grace only reacts to your faith, not your need. We all have a need. And so God tells Abraham to go sacrifice his son. And Abraham obediently, in faith, believed that even if he killed his son Isaac, that God would resurrect him. And so he takes his son top of the mountain, and he has a knife ready to kill him. And in that moment, faith met grace, and God showed him a ram in the thicket to take his place. Samson is stuck. He's blinded. His hair's been cut, but it grew back. He's sitting there in the front of all the Philistines being made fun of. He prays out, and in faith, he begins to push, and the grace of God gave him strength. Jericho marching, rather Joshua marching around Jericho all those days. And on the sixth day, he marched seven times around it. And he goes and goes and goes. And by grace, his faith saw the walls come down. I can go throughout the whole Bible where there's pictures of grace and faith coming together. That's what has to happen to you today. Maybe you are already saved, but you need God's grace for something else. Single men, you need God's grace to find the right woman for your life. Aren't you married? You need God's grace. Single ladies, you need God's grace to find you the right godly man for your life. Everything he has for you is by his grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Come on, stand with me today, church. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, you see every need across this auditorium. You see every individual. You know every struggle. You know every hurt and every pain. Father, would you begin to touch hearts and touch lives? Because I know that under the sound of my voice, there are people in need of your grace. Maybe not for salvation, but grace for peace of mind grace for healing in your body you need God's grace for healing in your marriage you need God's grace for deliverance from sin deliverance from addictions deliverance from bondage deliverance from all manner of ungodly things God that you would show us that we need your grace 
Jesus' name. Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed today, I ask you that question, church. Do you have the faith? Do you have the faith? Do you have the faith that can activate the grace of God in your life? Do you have the, the faith in God's grace? Father, I pray that your faith would begin to rise up in us, God that we will begin to believe that you have the solutions for the problems of our life. Come on, if you have that faith, you're saying, Pastor, I have a need and I have faith that God will meet my need through his grace. I want you to lift your hand right now. I have the faith that God, come on, amen, will meet the needs that I have in my life. I'm facing a situation that only the grace of God can take me out of. I'm facing a situation that only the grace of God can carry me through. And by faith, I believe that his grace will meet every need in my life from the beginning to the end. That his mercy and his grace will cover me and it will meet me right here. Father, you see every hand that is raised you know every heart and every difficulty and every situation right now we declare in Jesus name that we have the faith to believe that God will do what he said he would do that God would break addictions that God would bring healing to the body that God would bring healing to the heart that God would bring supply because you own cattle on a thousand hills God we're believing it right now Come on, I pray the peace of God over every situation of your life. I pray the peace of God over every lie of Satan. I pray the peace of God over every anxious spirit, over every worrying heart, over every downtrodden mind. In the name of Jesus, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But the grace of God, it will cover you and it will bind you up. It will bind your wounds and it will heal you in Jesus' name. Father, let your grace be evident today in our hearts and in our lives. We declare it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If I could have a prayer team come to the front, please, and my prayer team come to the front, because God's just showing me there's some people who you need someone to come in agreement with you right now in Jesus' name. Come on, just lift your hands right now. Bow your heads. Lift your hands and just bow your heads. Jamie and Victoria, if you can come on up. and You're you're needing for God to come in agreement with you right now. If that's you, I don't care if you're here by yourself or with your wife or with someone or friend, and you need God to come into agreement with your faith, I just want you to make your way to the front right now. Don't worry about nobody else. Today, you need God's grace. You're here today to receive it. You know that God can do it. You believe it with your heart. You believe it with your spirit. You believe it from every part of you. Just come on right now. That's right. That's right. Just come on. Don't worry about it, but just come right up. God knows. God knows. He will meet your needs tonight. He will meet your needs in this day. Come on. There is grace for every part of your life. There is grace for every situation. Come on. Just press in. Press in. Press in. Grace is here to meet your needs today. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Father, we believe it right now. We believe it right now in Jesus. Come on, whatever you need today, church. Whatever your needs today, he's here to meet your needs.
While you're waiting, just tell him that right now. Tell him yours is the kingdom. Father God. 